podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Christmas present nobody asked for. It is back <laughs> right on time. It is, of course, the European Super League. But hopefully, in a more welcome manner in your world, we are also back. The, Ita- the Anglo-Italian pod almost got the title wrong. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam. Buon Natale. Oh, Merry Christmas to you all on this last ever episode of 2023. Rory, feels like it's been loads of episodes and I can't really kind of comprehend in my head right now all of those episodes but it's been a slog it's been loads it's been, been loads as we've covered quite a lot we've covered quite yeah. a lot and weirdly I hope they're more memorable for the listener than they are for me because I can't remember many <laughs> yeah. of them but there have been a lot of them um we've gone through Arsenal very nearly winning the league and then breaking yep. my heart um we've gone through Man City winning their first European uh, Champions League. We've yeah. gone through the start of this season, two Super Leagues, or maybe one Super League launch within this year. One Super League launch within this year. Yeah. Um, and countless, countless memes. Um, and managers sacked and rehired. Right. There's been a lot to cover. There's been a There's lot. There's been to a cover. few. There's been um, a few. We are going to go over our highlights, lowlights, and kind of funniest moments of the year as we get towards the end of the show. But listener, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, just before this show, me and Adam, or yesterday, me and Adam were kind of talking, thinking, what are we actually going to talk about? Like, the Carabao Cup and the Coppa Italia doesn't really fill that much time. Mm. Well, Florentino Perez must have been listening because he's done us a massive favour and he's dropped an absolute clangor today that everyone's obviously talking about, and this is the European Super League Mark II. This time it's personal. Um, Mm. Adam, what was your first initial... Reaction. I saw the tweet from Real Madrid saying Florentino Perez is holding yeah. a press conference at midday, and I thought, oh, here we go. What was your first reaction? Are you surprised it came around this quickly? But it's also been a surprising <sighs> amount of time since it came around, right? Yeah, it's, be- it's been a bit of a surprise in terms of the timing, shall we say? Because mm-hmm. obviously, clearly, um, that gives a lot of momentum to uh, Juan Laporta and Florentino Perez to kind of start off 2024 in terms of planning now and um yeah they've got the backing obviously in terms of financial side of things um but yeah i was surprised to an extent in terms of that they were managed to over turn the decision initially um and yeah i think it's going to have huge ramifications if they manage to push it through as well so um but on our side, I suppose, Rory, is that we're seeing a lot of clubs and leagues kind of categorically say they're not going to stand for this. They're not going to be on their side. And that, I suppose, gives you a bit of hope. But for how long, I suppose, is a big question. And how long will it take for money to talk, I suppose, is the big question here. Um, we knew about the owners of certain clubs' intents here. Um mm-hmm. And obviously, their disregard for the fans. Um, and although they've um, presented quite a snazzy kind of presentation of how it's going to um, outlook and you know um, benefit the game at overall level, um, there's a lot of question marks around the integrity of the competition. And um, it wasn't that long ago we talked about players and having enough mental time to recover, um, as it was from this long season that they've currently embracing Mm -hmm. right now but now to have this thrown in as well 
and it's interesting that I've been reading up on the alternative views as well, those that support the ESL, and I, okay. I appreciate this is a very small minority at this moment <laughs> in time. A vocal um, minority, nonetheless. Yeah, um, but they're making it very clear that this is the way that it's got to happen, and um, yeah, it hasn't quite sunk in for me yet, but um, what was your initial reactions? Because I know what you actually shared with us on the WhatsApp group, but for those that obviously can't see that, Rory, um, what was your initial thoughts on this? Um, just a, a big, big sigh of like, mm. again, like here we go. Um, my first thought was, and it all comes from it's all summed up by right. Let's think about the three teams who are still who are still yeah. sticking with this. Right? Yeah, of course. So we've got Real Madrid, mm-hmm. Barcelona, and Juventus. Yeah. Juve, who have just been docked points for financial whatever. Yep. various various nefarious yep, dealings within their financials Barcelona who are in financial crisis are currently being investigated for bribing referees in UEFA competitions and yep. the Spanish competitions and we've got Real Madrid who are still under investigation because they sold their training ground to the Madrid Council for a massively inflated price so that they could buy the Galacticos right? yep. so three teams who were very 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 keen for UEFA to lose their mm-hmm. power Right. Yeah, of course. And three teams that have shown at every opportunity that they are only out for themselves, like every other team. Right. Like Arsenal, like Manchester United, like Chelsea, like mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid, like Crew Alexandra. Right. Every club is out for themselves. But not all of these clubs are trying to sell themselves as the paragon of virtues and the saviors of football. Mm. Now, I don't think these are. If I could pick three teams, I'm not going to follow into battle. It's Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus, <laughs> yeah. to be honest, right? Yep. Um, and Florentino Perez, for him, like, we all know that UEFA have many flaws, right? We know mm. that UEFA are not the paragons yep. of virtue either. Of course not. We know that Seferon's, Seferin's quote about football is not for sale is absolutely laughable, right? Yeah, of course. We know there are things that need to be changed with UEFA, and maybe the one positive about this is that UEFA are having to look at what they can do to kind of maintain power, change what they do, whatever, being mm. super ambitious, maybe that's a positive. But I think ultimately I look at this launch and I think this is just a man, Florentino Perez, who is desperate mm-hmm. to catch up with the Premier League and the yep. only way he can think of doing it is this. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts before I get... I'm going to get a little bit... It's the one thing that makes me a bit Brexity. this when I hear Europeans talking about this, but I'm going to get your thoughts on Florentino Perez and the launch. Um, I think there's a quote that I've just read um, that kind of sums him up, and this was, we wanted to remind everyone who Real Madrid is. And that, for me, kind of sums up his arrogance. Yep. Just not Not just in general, but in the way he approaches things. It's always got to be that he's got to be at the top of the table. They've got to dominate and they've got to be the kind of decision makers, essentially. And they've been craving this opportunity to basically, you know, dominate the decision making at the top table. They've not Mm -hmm. been able to obviously get their way. Um, And I, I feel like this is just sums him up, really. I mean, this whole competition format and the fact that Sharon Laporta as well, bitter rivals right in Barcelona is happy to cozy up with him purely because they know what a financial mess they're in that they're having to do a competition like this just to make up ends meet and then you've got Juventus right 
Agnelli well, yeah. started this all off, and this just like sums up Juventus to the core that you you can't trust them to be any stallion at all at the table. They are just no. there for pure greed's sake, and that's and I it. Think if- if ever there was a doubt that this is because they they they're selling it as this savior of football and we care about you know the progress and this is where football naturally needs to go, but then he comes out with the quote that we need to remind them who Real Madrid are. Yeah. If you have any doubt about who this is for, it's for fucking him. Like <laughs> it's it not is. even for Real Madrid; it's for him. So like, and I just think the the characters who run these clubs, Agnelli mm. and the rest of them, are not savoury characters as much as the heads of UEFA aren't savoury characters so I would rather stick with the organisation that has history that has legacy that is a that is at least in name Mm. and more so than it would be an independent regulator right you think football's unbalanced now right (laughs) let the football clubs run football right and see how unbalanced it gets right like at least UEFA and FIFA in name and to a certain degree, are still independent, right? They are still, yeah. they look at football from what is in their interest as opposed to what is in Real Madrid's interest, what's in Manchester United's interest, mm-hmm. right? So I think I would much, 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 much rather stick with them and try and improve yeah. it from the inside, right? Um, it's encouraging that a lot of teams and leagues have turned around within five, six hours and said, we're not interested. And yeah. ultimately, a Super League without the Premier League, without mm-hmm. the Bundesliga. There you go, that's fireworks. They of course celebrate. It is. They agree with me. Um without League Earn, that is not a Super League. Because ultimately, yeah. instantly you're losing the majority of the good teams, right? Mm-hmm. And I've seen some very loud Italian journalists today. Yes. Um talking about Brexit means Brexit. Um English clubs aren't allowed to come in. Don't be upset when you're not invited. Well, I tell you what, if you could market your league better, you'd be able to fucking catch up with the with the Premier League. <laughs> and if you cared about your lower leagues, you'd be able to have a competitive pyramid that improved the youngsters that are coming into your national team. Mm-hmm. The one thing I am glad about Brexit for is that we are not involved in this fucking shit show. None of the European laws are pay- uh, apply to us. Cool, see you later. We will keep the Premier League, have fun, with whatever you want to do. Honestly, it's the one thing where I'm like, I'm glad we got Brexit because none of this fucking applies to us. And if you think it all just comes, and I'm starting to rant, I realize, but it all comes across to me as just sheer bitterness about the Premier League. Oh, well, we don't want you in our party. We don't, you're yeah. not invited. Even though the fact that the Premier League would still compete and mm-hmm. be better than a European Super League that doesn't include the Premier League clubs. Yeah. Like, I think there's a lot of, European fans who are again selling themselves as we care about the future of football. Mm. You only want it so that your team's competitive again. Let's just be honest about it. Just be honest about it. Just say, I want my team to have as much as West Ham, and that's why yeah. I want us to be in it. Let's just be fucking adults about it and not bullshit it as some savior for football. It really, really annoyed me today. Really annoyed me because I think these are some people who try to, they try to portray themselves as like people who love the game mm-hmm. who care about the game yeah don't give me that bullshit if you're supporting this because that's not what it's for if you look at and we'll get into the format we can play the video adam once i've mm. finished with this yeah rant. of course yeah, yeah but you look at the format the last thing it does is 
encourage competitiveness like should we yeah, play the video and then we can let, let's do that create the world's most exciting club football competition our proposal aims to ensure competitive tension throughout the year it's an open system featuring promotion and relegation and two stages a league stage and a knockout stage the european men's super league will have 64 participating clubs divided into three leagues star gold and blue. The Star League consists of 16 clubs divided into two groups of eight. It's the same for the Gold League, 16 clubs, two groups of eight. The Blue League will have 32 clubs split into four groups of eight. During the league stage, clubs play each other within their groups, home and away. That's 14 matches per club each season, seven at home, seven away. The top four clubs in each group of the Star and Gold Leagues and the top two clubs in each group of the Blue League will qualify for the knockout round starting with the quarter-final. The quarter and semi-final consist of a two-legged knockout round, home and away. The final will be played on neutral ground. The knockout round finals winners will be the Blue League, Gold League and Star League champions. Our proposal is built around sporting merit. Promotion, relegation and exit from the competition happen each season. The club finishing at the bottom of each group of the Star League will be relegated and replaced by the two Gold League finalists. The same system applies in the Gold League. The last club of each group will be relegated and replaced by Blue League finalists. In the Blue League, 20 out of the 32 clubs will leave the competition altogether and be replaced by clubs depending on their domestic league performance. This system ensures mobility within and across leagues. And as matches will be played midweek, this format is completely compatible with domestic leagues. This proposed format for football will guarantee openness, competitive tension and success based on sporting merit. It is one competition for all clubs, all players and all fans. Um, <laughs> now, watching the video, I don't know how many more times they could fit sporting merit into a video oh, and yeah. relegation and promotion. It's yeah, impressive, I know. right? It is very impressive. They generally got the jazz hands out there. They knew what they were trying to hit, weren't they? And that was all born from that kind of um, protest initially, wasn't it? Because mm -hmm. the format in itself wasn't going to promote any of this. So they've had to redraw the uh, diagrams and everything that they were planning to do initially and make sure that other teams were included and probably give them a smaller share as they've got the blue league, right? Um, but yeah, I suppose... It sounds fucking shit as well. <laughs> it sounds like something on Pro Evo. Oh, Blue shit. League taking on North London Red, and like it just sounds fucking awful. But it's terrible. What? There's we can pick holes in it. Let's go. Um, my <laughs> first hole to pick is that if a team, for example, like Union Berlin this year, right? Mm -hmm. They got into the competition first time in their history. They were were rewarded by playing mm -hmm. Napoli and Real yep. Madrid, right? Um, huge moments for the clubs, mm -hmm. money spinning yeah, opportunities. Yeah. Um, the matches that will go down in history with their fans, right? Mm. In this new format, if they somehow fluked a qualification, they would get the benefit of playing, of playing no disrespect, Red Star Belgrade, Probably. right? Yeah. For them to have to earn the right to, to play Real Madrid, 
they would have to qualify each year, I think, because if they dropped out in the Basically. domestic league, they then wouldn't be in it. Mm-hmm. And each year they'd have to get promoted. So they'd have to have three successful years in both the league and, and... the European competition to then finally yeah. play a Real Madrid, for example. Yeah. Right? So while there is promotion and relegation, there isn't really promotion and relegation, right? You're still in that gold league. Gold league is the top one, right? Yes. Was it Star yeah. League? I can't Star remember. League, league, they call it. Star League it. is the top one. In Star League, you're just going to have the same teams except maybe Arsenal drop out on it every mm. um, every other year because that's what we do, if you know what I mean. Yeah, what were your main issues, before we get to the financing of it, because there's huge issues there as well, but what were your main issues with the format? Um, I, I, I think it's more the vagueness of leagues and the interpretation of these like teams that are going to participate in the various different stages. Obviously, I think the top tier league uh, that they refer to as a star league, I, I suspect is going to be those that have got the biggest power within mm-hmm. the kind of the uh, organization. And I, I suspect this kind of demotion of teams are unlikely to happen. If you kind of say, look, we've had a shit season. Here's, like 10 million worth of revenues that we don't actually uh, need. You can keep it as long as we keep our place at the top table, Mm -hmm. because I I suspect that's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of bargaining chips around. We, you know, can you imagine Real Madrid being demoted out of that Starly? The guys that made the concept of this competition being demoted. I can't see that happening. I cannot for the life of me see that happening. So I think there's an ultimately, although they kind of make this kind of situation sound like it's a legitimate kind of promotion relegation format. I can't see that happening. That was the whole point of the Super League in the first place was extra games to play there. Um, Also, um, although it's not covered in that initial video, it's around the um, free TV streaming facility as well. This is what I wanted to talk about. I wonder how long that lasts for. Is that going to well, be for 45 minutes or like, do you have to subscribe <laughs> after a minute? Like one of those streaming se- like services? I mean, it's just... I was yeah. trying to figure out how they've come to this because I it, obviously it was thrown in as the last bullet point as well. <laughs> like, oh, and it? free streaming. Like, right. Okay. So this thing that is going to live entirely off TV revenue mm-hmm. because you don't care who's in the stadium. This is about yep. TV revenue, right? That thing that's going to survive solely off that is going to be free. Exactly. I'm not sure how that works. I'm just, I, I think it's just something that they're kind of like, okay, this is going to be a hard sell, guys. Yeah, we need exactly. one more thing that we can just say and then reel back on later and be like, oh, no, actually, it wasn't financially viable. You need to pay 40 euros a year to watch your club and your club yeah, only, exactly. whatever. And then if you want to watch Real Madrid, you've got to pay another 40. We know that's horseshit for one. So instantly. It feels like it's not as it did the last time, and they've had three years, whatever it yeah. was. It still doesn't feel fully thought through. No, it doesn't. It still f- feels like Florentino Perez is just and Juan Laporta. I don't want to focus on him and Agnelli. All three of them are just kind of throwing shit at a wall shit and seeing what sticks. Yet sticks. again, three years later, <laughs> um, uh, it's so fucking depressing. And but the thing is also. It is still inevitable. The only thing that stops this is that clubs continue to value their domestic game. Mm. And I think whilst Germany and the Premier League and Ligue 1 stick out and say, look, we know this isn't what we want, Mm. then ultimately it can't happen. Because a Super League with 
Dutch teams, Belgian teams, Serbian teams, and Real Madrid and Barcelona doesn't sound particularly interesting <laughs> to me. <laughs> Maybe chucking the Portuguese teams as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, still not really grabbing any headlines. No. Invite the Saudi teams. I'm no. still not watching. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think it just relies really on the the key leagues holding their position. And I think mm-hmm. the encouraging thing is is that this independent regulator in the UK is getting closer and closer. Yeah. Um, the British government commented today and said we are going to do everything in our power to make sure this doesn't mm-hmm. happen. The Tories actually doing something good for once, so that helps. Um, so I feel like it's still a non-starter. It's still mm-hmm. not what they want. And no matter how much they try to say it's like the Emperor's New Clothes. I don't know. It just feels like yeah. they're kind of trying to sell us this thing and it, everyone can see what it actually is. Um, oh, yeah. But also, I think the, the the point you made about which teams go into it, the coefficient's really interesting because that Blue League, mm. I imagine, would be 7th and 8th place teams from the Premier League rather than the champions of Greece, for example. Exactly. You know I mean? They're not going to get... Point. They're not going to get Legio Warsaw in there, are they? Because they don't no, give enough this, money. this is my thing. You won't see Vilnius, for example, in Lithuania or yeah. HAK Helsinki turn up in one of those stages. I can't see that happening. For one, it's probably not enough clout for them. There's not yeah. enough money revenues being made out of those teams to appear at this stage. And um, like you, like you saw, was it twenty clubs exit this kind of blue league? Twenty, twenty. That's a hell of a load of teams. Now I can imagine that being a consistent of like your Saudi teams, maybe Russian teams potentially in this mix as well. Um, but yeah, these kind of teams that have got rich owners that are prepared to kind of foresee that happening and then see them in a year's time essentially yeah. see you back in a year's time because they've got the clout but again to my point i just cannot see how that's sustainable in terms of like driving people to watch these games as well because imagine it like you've got your top tier games you probably will want to watch them right the middle kind of tier maybe one or two but when it comes to the bottom tier you might as well just call it the conference league again you might as well, well just say it's, it's what we do and yeah. currently we all watch the champions league we watch some games in the Europa League that we find interesting, yep. and we watch the highlights of the Conference League, <laughs> exactly. unless your team's in it. That's what people do now. So it would be That's exactly it. the same thing. Um, but if we kind of move on from the Super League almost and kind mm-hmm. of switch our focus to UEFA and FIFA, yep. they have now announced that... I thought, oh, it's being rumoured that they've it's announced. Rumored. I've only seen, I've not seen it officially stage, yeah. on UEFA feed yet. I've seen it on kind of aggregate yeah. accounts yeah, that exactly. they are abandoning the Swiss model in mm-hmm. the Champions League next year. That Which didn't is, take long, did yeah, it? Yeah, if that's exactly. true, that really didn't take long. And that is a positive of the Super League. Thank mm. you, Super League, if <laughs> that happens. Um, UEFA... Now, I think it's a positive that the law came to the decision that it did, right? That the court yeah, came course, to the decision yeah, yeah. that UEFA from FIFA are not able to monopolize football, right? They cannot yeah. stop other people from competing against them. I think exactly. that is a very good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think this is a big and a much-needed wake-up call for UEFA from FIFA in terms of what they can and can't get away with? Yeah, I think so. I think they've got away with it for so many years, um, and this is basically backing up those points that the likes of... Perez and uh, etc. I've been kind of quoting is that they've had too much power. They've not been actually reforming the game, and they're not benefiting anyone apart from themselves. 
So mm. in that respect, um, it's interesting to see Seferin kind of use quotes like, we, we realized these issues over a year ago. We accept this ruling. We know this is time for reform. This is time for change as well. And we've already kind of gone about it. Um, but the problem is I don't see those changes. I don't see that reform that he talks about. And this is a problem that if he continues to sit on his laurels, there'll be a few clubs that will go, did we really need to kind of make a stance against the European Super League if he's not actually taking action, if if he's going to act on his kind of grey horse and kind of acts as if he's going to do something? He's not going to do anything, I don't think, immediately. But if he is true about the Champions League format, that is a hell of a brave move to kind of change straight over after this decision. It'll be interesting to see what kind of further reforms that he does introduce. And I think he needs to work closely and collaboratively with the bigger clubs around Europe as well going forward. Um, because otherwise you're going to see this kind of format just spiral and force you know, club owners to kind of make that decision to take their teams outside of UEFA competitions and move them elsewhere. And look, we've had an influx of Americans come over, not just in England, but also in Europe. They in are Italy, starting there's to, a lot of American start, owners, Yeah, and yeah. this is the point. They're starting to think of how can they bring franchise kind of models across to these kind of shores? How can they kind of make the most of it and make them even bigger kind of names around the world? So, you know, UEFA and FIFA have got to take a better grip of the situation at the moment. It's a big kick for them right now. Um, but yeah, Rory, I, I'm not feeling too confident. I'm, I'm not feeling confident that they can turn it around. I don't think they can do the open-mindedness in terms of the approach. Um, but let's, let's, I'm happy to be proved wrong on this one. But for now, I'm kind of grateful that we've still got them, if that makes sense, because it still allows your Union Berlins, etc., to have their day in the Champions League. And I'm hoping that continues. And what we're hearing right now about the European Super League doesn't come to fruition because I just don't think it's got many legs in it. Mm. Yeah. Well, no, I don't. I don't think it has. Mm. The, the also interesting one is, is for FIFA as well, as they try to make a land grab for club football as well. Yeah, of, of course. course. The Club World Cup kicks off in twenty twenty five. The yeah. new format. So this, I'm not even going to try to. I don't know how clubs qualify for it beyond league finishes and winning European trophies. Yeah. I think. Um, so this is like the World Cup. It will take place every four years from twenty twenty five, and is obviously FIFA trying to get some of that. Sweet, sweet domestic football money. Um, because the World Cup just isn't enough. Um, yeah. And is this something that could force clubs further down the European Super League route? Because if you think about, for example, a Premier League club now, mm. you finish your league in what? Early, end of May, May early June, June. Right. Um, you then have two weeks off, three weeks off. You have your Roughly. preseason in July. You do your preseason tour. Then you have your European qualifiers, and then you don't stop again until the end of May, beginning of June. Right? Yeah. At what point do these players find time? If it's a non-tournament year, right? Because mm. if it's a tournament year, you get a week off and a week yeah. off the other side of the tournament, right? Mm. So, like, at what point do the clubs turn around and say we actually have a duty of we have a responsibility of care here for our players mm -hmm. we can't yeah, just yeah, run them into the ground or do they get to a point where they have to have 50 man squads like we talked about before mm -hmm. 
which yeah. then forces teams who are already struggling financially to have to have 50-man squads to compete, and then you yeah. end up killing the game lower down further. Like, Do you think yeah. this competition could also force more teams to kind of look at the Super League in a more appealing way? I, I think it's still a negative in that sense. I think it's still another competition and there's not been a mention of player welfare that I've seen about the European Super League at all. Um, it's mm-hmm. just been a fact of that this can be still afforded alongside the domestic kind of fixtures, which just means that the, what what is potentially suggested here is that you kind of navigate past UEFA or FIFA competitions potentially this is the way I interpret it Um, it could be wrong but yeah the way I read it is that they're trying to offer this as a competition alternative to the Champions League etc and you know what that that's dependent on how many clubs get on board I think at this moment in time it does sound like it's going to struggle though initially and it could be you know, a few years pain before you kind of start seeing maybe some clubs take the kind of gamble and go for it because they might struggle, you know, how long will it take a Man United to kind of clamber up and kind of go, do you know what, we're not winning stuff at the moment, mm-hmm. why don't we just enter this because we've got a chance of winning this because we haven't got any of the big clubs like surfacing, so... But to your point, I, I think you're you're going to start seeing clubs like your Barcelona's, etc., start to hoard up to 50-man squads. I mean, that is just how it feels at the moment. Mm-hmm. And this is just, if you think what we speculated a few weeks ago before this decision was made, we kind of speculated this was the way it was going to go. Because otherwise, how do you maintain kind of players being able to relax and, you know, not have constant regurgitations of injuries? Because, you know, ACL injuries seem to be more common than they ever were before. You know, those kind of things used to take like a year before you recovered. Now it's kind of almost given that by nine months, you should be recovered. You should be ready to go again. Um, So, look, I think what we we just don't seem to appreciate at the moment is that we're trying to make money or these people higher up are trying to make money out of the game, but not having a real damn clear sight of what this will have in terms of impact of person's health their mental health as well because i mean imagine as it is we we talk about the uk and the boxing day fixtures right like the amount of like professionalism that's needed for you to just you know not eat the christmas turkey on yeah. christmas day not and see your family on christmas not see day. your family i mean you might you might be going through a lot of shit during that time as well yeah. like mentally you're then having to make sure you kind of have game face for the next day because you've got to be at your A game. So I think this is just so badly thought out and there's not been, like you say, any kind of liaison is basically sticking shit onto the wall and hoping it sticks. So I think it will come to a point where players will start kind of saying, no, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play. So it'll be interesting, but I, I don't think it's going to get to that stage just yet. Anyway. Well, we'll see. I think it'll be a, a few days of noise and then it'll all fade away again. And then mm-hmm. we'll wait three years and then it'll come back and eventually our will will give up. It feels like there's a lot less anger in the reactions today than yeah. the first time it came around, which I think is there's a myriad of reasons for that. But I think there's a lot more people 
who have taken time to think about it and are suddenly coming mm-hmm. out on pro, which I'm disappointed by. I'll be honest. Yeah, I am disappointed by it. I've seen a lot of people t- have takes today where I'm like, we are never going to agree. We are very, very different football fans. Um, <laughs> exactly. And I think as I get ready to go and watch Crew Alexandra tomorrow evening as I fly back to the UK, <laughs> yeah. I could not be prouder of the football pyramid we have in the UK and how well supported yeah. it is and how well run it is and how there's many flaws, but if you compare it to Serie C, Serie D or the no. in Spain yeah. or whatever, I'm so proud of what we've got. And I think I'm just really happy that this, if this independent or when this independent regulator comes mm. in, we'll be looking after English football and keeping the heritage going because I don't, like, ultimately what we want to win is your national league, right? The Champions League yeah. is incredible. But you want to win the league, right? Of course you, you do. You want to be the best team in your country. Yeah. And I think we want, to, we, want to, we want to win the FA Cup. You want to mm-hmm. win the things that mean something in your country. And I think we can just hope that that continues. Um, and the people who, yeah, 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 I've said what I needed to say, I think. Um, so we're going to kind of leave that there. I think was there anything yeah. else you wanted to cover on it? I think that's it for now. We'll wait until it rumbles again, right? Exactly. We can all enjoy our Christmas. Uh, <laughs> we can enjoy the Premier League football and the Championship football, right? That takes place over yep. the um, over the Christmas. Um, and it should be good. We're going to leave yeah. that there. Um, we're going to take a very quick break. Mm. Um, I'm going to come back and talk about some actual football, uh, which, which should be nice. Um, so we'll see you on the other side. My name is Massimo Morales, and you are listening to Anglo-Italian podcast. Here we are, and it's time for the big ones. It is the Carabao (laughs) Cup and the Coppa Italia. We're going to start with the Carabao Cup, and we're going to start at Anfield, as Mm. Jurgen Klopp makes a battling rally cry. He is terrified of Arsenal turning up, isn't he? Um, He said, I found these comments, I kind of got into a discussion on Twitter today about it. I found the comments super ignorant from it. For someone Mm -hmm. who tries to be... not tries to be, seems to be someone who you know is with the fans and appreciates yeah. football culture and knows the history mm-hmm. of the city and whatever. For him to be like, just give your ticket away if you're not fancying it, <laughs> I find it quite distasteful. And if a club like Liverpool, and I kind of again, I corrected myself on Twitter, I said the entire Premier League, it's not the entire Premier League, it's the top six, really, mm-hmm. that market themselves to tourists and try and get those they day do, trippers yeah. in that buy shirts mm-hmm. and they spend more money and they rise the, raise Ooh, the prices yeah. so working class people can't afford to go to the game. Um, if you target yourself to that, you then, you can't then get angry that the atmosphere dies a bit, right? Yeah, no, you can't argue and um don't forget, he's probably not saying anything when he's getting funds to uh, get certain players in when that, this mm-hmm. kind of happens in terms of that kind of spiral. Um, but yeah, I found his comments very ironic given that he wants Liverpool to get bigger and grander and better. Yet, you know, sometimes you're going to have nights where the crowd are just like they are. They're just quiet, unfortunately. And, and when the game just... is that shit... Yeah, I mean, look, West Ham didn't really put a star-studied squad either. No. Um, so it's not like they seem to give a shit. <laughs> like, no, West Ham, those... West Ham fucking phoned it in. Let's just have it right. They did not give a shit about this game. Like, exactly. They didn't care. Which was a bit weird, but we'll talk about that yeah. in a minute. But um, yeah, I just found Klopp was just on this little soapbox again, wasn't he? He was just trying to cause more tension. And I was going to say to you, Rory, you know we saw the clip last time of Arteta playing the Anfield crowd. 
do you reckon Klopp is doing that just to remind his players what they could do? What it should be like. What it should, what be, should like, be like. Right? Get themselves psyched up. Well, I did see an Arsenal fan on Twitter being like, Arteta's going to have the Arsenal team train in silence in preparation for Anfield, <laughs> yeah. which I did find quite funny. Uh, it's quite a good little uh, joke. Um, but it's good to see, honestly, you know you're back when before you turn up, managers are fucking losing their shit and you're like, oh, we this might be back, guys. And I know we could probably get battered at Anfield at the weekend, but I know at least at the moment, yeah, you're going to be a little bit scared and I'll take that. But... For the performance, um, Schoberschlei, with another mm-hmm. incredible goal. Yep. The guy knows how to hit a football. Jesus Christ. The way he strikes a ball is beautiful. Um, a player that we've talked about really fit into English football instantly. Um, just yep. incredible. And Curtis Jones, is he making a claim to be a starter for Liverpool? I think we've talked about how their midfield is a little bit weak at times, a little bit easy to get through. Obviously, two goals here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought his all his all round play and his profile as a player is quite interesting. So I think he can mm. do quite a few yeah. roles in midfield. He's still only twenty two years old. Do you think he could stake a place? I think he was helped by the opposition on in this particular mm-hmm. game. Um, but obviously, I think he needs to start making a claim for that place now. And I think there, there is a huge opportunity for him to make a claim. I think on his day, he can be a very good midfielder and I think he can be a very, you know, demanding player when he wants to be as well in terms of that he can make things happen in that midfield. He can make, you know, if he was to transfer out of Liverpool, I think he gets into most like kind of Mm -hmm. sort of eighth place downwards, I would say. You'd make their first 11, definitely. I think the question mark here is that can he displace your McAllisters, et cetera, yeah. to be considered in the first 11. And I think he's struggled with consistency here. So for him to display that, that kind of gives a bit of a headache to Klopp in terms of his thinking. Um, but, you know, it's down to him. It feels like there's something that needs to change mentally from his side, that he needs to approach it in a certain manner. And I think... We've heard a few noises about Curtis Jones this season. Now it's about him turning those kind of performances into a bit more consistency. Um, yeah. I don't know if you feel the same, but certainly that's the way I read it, is that, yes, he can have games like he has against West Ham, but he's not displaying it on, like, four or five games. He can go quiet. Yeah, I feel like he's not been given that opportunity, though, either, to be fair mm. to him. I feel like, obviously, the unlucky, you could say, red card against Spurs, or lucky. Yeah, sure. Unlucky, was it unlucky? Yeah, I think at the time we said it was a red card. It probably no, was a red card. It was a but red I think card. that obviously knocked him out for a few games, and maybe he could have had a run of games at that point if he'd stayed on the pitch. I feel like we might. he needs to be given that opportunity, and I think a performance like this might give Jurgen Jürgen, Jürgen the, the cause to kind of give him yeah. a chance and be like, you know what, we will give him a few games, see what he can do, because I think there is a really good player in there defensively he's very good his range of passing is great he's got a great engine i think attacking wise obviously he's got output i think he's like a fairly decent finisher um Mm. so i think he's kind of a bit of an all-rounder in midfield so i think he could really again give him a run of games he's quite an exciting player Mm. but for west ham um as you said the lineup was definitely not now this is i think this is 21 games at Anfield for David Moyes, and he's never won as a manager. Um, he's got 17 losses and no, seven draws and 14 losses. I think that's my mm. maths. So he's not been a happy hunting ground for him, but obviously he did make a few changes. Yeah. Um, I still look at the team and think beyond Pakatan not starting, 
you've got Ariola in goal, Mavropanos, but you've still got like Kudos, Fornals, Benrama, Bowen, Alvarez, Suchek. Um It's still a team that should put up a better fight than they did, right? I think you've still got a good enough team, but I I wonder why they were resting the likes of Lucas Pacatel when you look at you know who you could face in the semi-finals. Let's say hypothetically, mm-hmm. I think this is kind of those opportunities where you go, we're not going to have another chance to kind of maybe have an easy ride to a final. Like with the greatest respect to your Middlesbroughs and even Fulham's and like, Chelsea against West, <laughs> yeah, even Chelsea. I think I'd fancy West Ham to get a result over them mm-hmm. over two legs as well. So, you know, why did he feel like he need? To, and I just had a look at the next fixture. They've got Man United. So t- tell me, like, the priorities here. Like, could you not have given it a shot and try to have won this one game? And um, whilst you did say about, like, in terms of that midfield mix, there was quite a few of those big household names for West Ham. I look at the back, Fabianski has been a constant in recent games and he was dropped for Ariola. And then in terms of that centre-back partnership, obviously Zuma was missing as well. He's been a lot more consistent when you compare it to, um, I want to get his name right, oh, but Mavra Panos. Oh, Mavra yeah, yeah. Who's not been great. He's had a few errors in him and yeah. he's not, not great at the moment in terms of his adaptability to the game so far in the Premier League. But yeah, I mean, look, Bowen, it needed a Bowen strike and what a strike it was to oh. kind of give them something of a limelight. But um, other than that, they were just poor on the day. And again, this yeah. is the problem with West Ham. There's consistency with West Ham because do you feel they've been a bit relaxed because they feel like they're in the top half of the table? They don't need to worry. I think I almost think it's kind of they're prioritizing the league over the cup. I think they've got a, mm. like every team's got a hectic schedule over Christmas, and I think they've just kind of gone. You know what? Let's just focus on the league. And I think, unfortunately, like David Moyes has found himself at West Ham as one of their greatest ever managers because he won a cup competition. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't get why you wouldn't be like, let's try and get another cup competition. Um, yeah. They've still shown enough in the league 100%. that they're, they're pushing and they could finish in Europe again. So I think it's just a missed opportunity and I'd, I'd be intrigued mm-hmm. to talk to West Ham fans and see how they felt about it. Because as you said, the lineup in the Cup now, if you manage to knock out... Now, obviously, winning at Anfield is not a dead cert if West Ham put out their starting eleven, right? Winning mm-hmm. at Anfield is very difficult. Yeah. But beyond Liverpool, you look at those teams and as you said, you can beat any of them on the day mm-hmm. over two yeah. days, definitely. Massively. I think, yeah, missed opportunity for West Ham. For Liverpool... Are in the semi-finals, um, yep. and moving on, um, let's go to Chelsea one, Newcastle one. Um, Newcastle have picked up another injury. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Gordon coming off after a tackle from Moises Caicedo, um, and Eddie Howe has had the brass balls to come out and complain about the state of uh, tackles um, that are made. He's accused Caicedo of, ma- of making a horrible, vicious tackle. He said yeah. that Chelsea were kind of playing at it the whole game. Almost mm-hmm. as if Bruno Guimaraes doesn't play for his team and Joe Linton <laughs> doesn't play for his team. I've The clip of that tackle of Joe Linton on... Is it on Caicedo? Where he absolutely yeah. boots through him. Uh, nowhere near the ball. Just kicks mm. him in basically the stomach and clatters into him. Um I think that guy's genuinely got an anger management problem. I think yeah. we've seen him lose his head in mm-hmm. split seconds of games, but it lasts like a few minutes. And yes. he just sees yeah. red and goes on a rampage. And I think yep. 
for a team in Newcastle and a fan base that are very much, and I've said it before, we're the hard boys, we'll come in and knock you about <laughs> yeah. and you don't like it. They're very fucking sensitive when it happens to them to and them, they really yeah. cry about it a lot. So mm. I really find it really irritating that Eddie Howe came out and said this. Um, how did you feel about it? I feel like it's one of those, like that dickhead who makes a joke at everyone but then can't take a joke when you, yes, when you give yeah. it back. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he does cry wolf a lot when it's not on his terms as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, on that Goomeresh uh, point, that was a reason why he missed the final of the cup as well, mm-hmm. if you remember, because he had that kind of clatter the player yeah, yeah. with his forearm. And that was the reason why he got suspended for that game. So I've got no sympathy for Newcastle. Yes, they're going through a few issues with their injury spouts at the moment, it's fair to say. Um, but yeah, when you've got players like him that like to dish it out as much as they give it, you know, this is a problem. That I, I have no sympathy for Eddie Howe in that respect. And look, at the end of the day, they got slightly humbled, I think, to an extent, because Chelsea had a few other players that were kind of rested for this match as well. Um, obviously, they haven't got the luxury in the goalkeeping department, much like Newcastle. They're playing a kid in comparison to, obviously, who they've got in Dubravka as well. So, you know what? The one thing that I think this match actually highlighted was the weaknesses that Newcastle have, in particular, Kieran Trippier, who had was just a terrible say, match. Are we gone. watching... I know I love Kieran Trippier. I really yeah. like him, but it feels like there's been four or five games now where it is just a bit painful to watch. And I yes. think part mm. of this is because he's being overplayed, right? Because yeah, there's yeah, an injury course. crisis, and an injury crisis leads to further injury crisis because yeah. you're having to play players for 120 for, minutes yeah. every week. And like it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. It's like a snake mm. eating its own tail, right? And I think, so there's a part of me that has a lot, there's a big part of me that has a lot of sympathy to Kieran Trippier, but I also mm. get massive vibes of like, you know, when Gary Neville had that game against West Brom and just went, right, I'm done. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. I feel like we're seeing Kieran Trippier because it, it was his mistake that led to the Mudrick goal. He was, yeah. Um, and then he misses the penalty in the shootout and you yeah. just think, he must have like kicked a black cat or something. I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> yeah. nothing's going right for me. That's Kurt Zuma. That's Kurt Yeah, Zuma. no, that's Kurt Zuma. Sorry, that was the other one. That was the other one. Oh. But yeah, that was the other game. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I think there's something going wrong with Kieran Trippier because it's been, as you say, over a number of games now. Um, I think he's been using the fatigue kind of stance for a number of this. Um, but yeah, look, it's concentration level for that goal in particular kind of highlighted mm-hmm. that actually there's some greater issues. The fact that he's also, like you say, he missed the penalty. Now, he's not normally that bad in front of like, you know, those kind of, you know, set pieces, I'd Pressure say. Situations and, you know, like, well, yeah. he's normally quite assured of himself. So something's not right there. I think, yeah, the amount of games, plus you saw a few weeks ago when he was against Bournemouth and he lashed out at those fans as well in the way in that were giving them tons of abuse. Now, look, don't condone the abuse that he got. But at the same time, there's a level of professionalism that he has to display. And I think that's where he's struggling at the moment. So, Rory, I think, yeah, he's only got himself to blame. It is all just turning into a bit of a vicious circle, isn't it? But we do have to yep. give a shout out to Petrovic, the goalkeeper, who did yes. manage to make two saves. As you said, a young, young player um, getting his big moment at Stamford Bridge. So that was nice to see. Um, a positive sign for Chelsea, I suppose. Um, a kind of bit of a spark, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but again, scraping through at home on penalties maybe not too much encouragement. There's not, not a lot to uh, shout about. But it gives not, a bit bit more positivity around the place, right? Because if, well, exactly. at least for one more round anyway. Let's exactly. put it that way. Um, and I just want to, before we move on to the next game, I just have to play this commentary. So we're going to go for Everton <laughs> Fulham. And here we go. Oh, na, na, na. 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 That was, of course, Andre Anana missing the penalty for uh, for Everton. Beautifully described that. I love how you can feel, you can all, you can still understand what he, what is happening, even though he's just going, oh, no, no, no. You can still, you can tell the step up, you can tell the moment he misses it. Absolutely incredible. Um, that was only slightly beaten by an Everton fan filming it. I don't know if you saw this on his phone. Tosin, was oh, it? Are you fucking Balland? <laughs> As he misses it, which is just incredible. But Everton six, Fulham seven. Fulham find themselves in a cup competition for the f- uh, cup semi final for the first time since two thousand and one. I want to say, mm. um, but of course they're going to be playing Liverpool, so that might be where it ends. Yeah. Um, but a great performance, well, a great result for uh, for Fulham in the end, right? Yeah, massively, massive opportunity for them. I think, given the context of their season as well. They've started to get some results now at the right time as well, you could argue. So for them to be within a shot of a chance of maybe making the final, Rory, that would be amazing effort for them. Um, but like you say, they've got another big game, another two big games two against big Liverpool. Games. So you could just got to hope and pray that Liverpool will have or entered an injury crisis themselves at that stage, just, don't you? So I, I don't understand why they're two-legged semi-finals because you're never gonna catch a team like Liverpool that has two bad days. Exactly. One like, bad if you day. Have, yeah. If they have one bad day, the second day they're gonna make up for it. Like exactly, it just kills yeah. any chance of a surprise team getting to the final. I really don't like it. It's not the 1950s. Why do we have two-legged semi-finals? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Very, very weird. Um, but Fulham are through. Everton are out. Michael Keane own goal. That's the Michael Keane we know and love. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I feel like his, he, his form has been far too good. It's been suspicious. Um, yes. So it's good to see him scoring an own goal. Have there been moment. any drug tests recently? That's yeah. what we want to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will have to follow that up. Um, and of course, Beto, getting a, Beto can only score in the Carabao Cup, it seems. That's, um, that seems like to be his place, wasn't it? Because his, his debut goals. was against Doncaster exactly. a few rounds ago. So, yeah. Um, so it was good to see him scoring again. It's good to see him too. You know, Czechy's still alive. We've not really <laughs> seen much. Remember what he used to do, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and in the last one, um, I have to say thank you, Middlesbrough. Um, as a crew <laughs> Alex fan, I do not like Stoke City or Port Vale, and there was I was getting really worried that Port Vale were going to get into a semi final. But well, that can't happen. Um, and Middlesbrough did beat them three nil um, away, and Michael Carrick continues the confusing work that he's doing at Middlesbrough. <laughs> I was talking to a Borough fan when I went to the wedding in Madrid, actually. Oh, yeah. A friend of mine, Colin. And he said, yeah, we decided to just tank, like, the first five games of the season. And then now we've just, we can't stop winning. Um, it's very confusing what's going on at Borough. Yeah. But this is the first time they've got to the semi-final since they won it under Steve mm-hmm. McLaren. Um It's good to see a club kind of on the rise, right? And Michael Carrick's looking like a promising young manager. Yeah, a lot of high hopes for Michael Carrick, um, especially after last season, because they were just so far, just so 
far off, I suppose, to an yeah. extent from getting promotion in the end. Um, I did look pre, obviously, record, and they currently find themselves in 13th position, which is six points off the playoffs as it currently stands. Um, there's a few teams that are kind of going or rocking away from it at the moment. So that includes the likes of Leeds and Ipswich mm-hmm. at this moment in time. So I think the best that they can hope for at this stage would be the playoffs. Um, but given the nation uh, nature of the league, should I say, where anyone can beat anyone, that is very much achievable for Middlesbrough. And um, yeah, great to see them in this kind of stage again, because, you know, Boris seems to have a knack of doing well at the cup competitions. I still remember Mac- Massimo Macaroni turning up and scoring in yes. that famous run alongside uh, Bo- Zend and Bo- Bolo Zend Bolo Zend and even, sorry, and then you had Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, didn't you, back in those days? So, yeah, let's see what they can deliver. But, yeah, um, great to have them at this stage of the competition, Rory. And they will be playing Chelsea, which I think... Yeah is a little bit closer than Fulham Liverpool. (laughs) (laughs) I weirdly, I think it is closer. Um, But we'll see how that goes. Two interesting ties there. Um, And the Riverside will be rocking for that. It'll be a really good atmosphere down there, I imagine. So that is good to see. Up the Mm. borough, as they say. Um, Let's move over to the Coppa Italia. We can only start in, well, there's two places we could start. Let's start in Milan. Okay. Um, Inzaghi, yep. the cup manager, is no longer a cup manager. He's he's reached no. his final form. He's concentrating on the league. He's he no is. longer a cup manager. Um, Inter 1, Bologna 2. Now, we have to caveat this with the Inter team was an interesting lineup, to say the least. Yes. Um, Aldero in goal. I forgot he was at Inter, honestly. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. Bisek, yeah. Acerbi, Bastoni, which isn't the weakest. No, no, no. It's not no, bad. No. Far from it. Um, Domian Fratesi, Aslani, Klaassen, Augusto, who got the goal. Martinez yep. and Arnautovic. Now, this inter team, as I said, a bit odd, but not terrible. Mm-hmm. But we're not really going to talk about Inter. How good were Bologna? Incredible. They were very good. And I think obviously the substitutions played a huge part in this, Rory. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously if you look at also Bologna's lineup, it's not like they had their first eleven out for this match. I mean, you've yeah. got like Kasper Ubanski, who mentioned in the last game coming on, he started in this match. Um Pierre Van Hoydoink's son it, it is, right? It from, has to be. I was is, looking at the is, name, I was yes, like, it, it has is. to be, right. Okay. Don't worry, yeah, it yeah, is yeah. Pierre Van Hoydoink's son there playing with Salamakas, who obviously back on his old stamping ground as well. Of course. Um but Ravgela oh, I can't Ravalia. pronounce this Ravalia. Yes, he had a magnificent game in this particular one. And um but it's all down to that second half or extra time second half, should I say, because you had Xerxes as well as Andoy contribute here in this respect. Um obviously Xerxes oh, that guy's property is getting higher and higher by the game. There's already rumours that apparently Juventus are sniffing around for this I guy as well. I gutted to find out that he's still on loan from Bayern. I really thought Bologna had him. No. I really thought they got, got him, but he's on loan from Bayern. Absolutely gutted for Bologna because there's no way he's there next year. He is mm. absolutely killing it. Um, the way his ability to like create space for, for players around him and Just, fill yeah. like feed balls into them like his build up play is fantastic his technical ability is insane mm. like a player who it looked like his career was kind of disappearing right from Bayern yeah. it didn't really work kind of Renato Sanchez-esque he ended up in Belgium I think when he was on loan in Parma 
he's had a really weird career and it looked like this is why he's at Bologna, right? Because it hadn't yeah. really worked out. But to see him really kick on and being so incredible for them. Like you said, the turn for the Indoy goal oh. is unbelievable. It is incredible because he makes the defenders look silly. He just mm. makes it. And he's he's a bit like an Eze to an extent. He glides sometimes. Mm. I saw him how he was kind of pulling away from Andoy as he's trying to create that space as well. He just makes it seem so seamless as well. Um, but yeah, massive amounts of credit go to Thiago Motta because of the way that he's been able to kind of get that kind of 11 to perform so strongly, especially at that point in the game where it was normal time, it was mm. nil-nil. It was nil-nil. And I would argue that Inter have the stronger 11 as well when you're looking at the yeah. two sides as well. So for him to able to get that kind of performance and knock them out as well without needing to go to penalties as well, magnificent achievement. And yeah, it sets them up nicely, doesn't it, Rory? Because in the next rounds, they take on Fiorentina, which... I'd fancy them to take on and win that one. So then potentially it could be a choice of Atalanta Sassuolo or Milan and Calgary, which you kind of go, this is massive opportunity for Bologna this season. Milan are the only top team that Bologna have lost to this year. I think they time for revenge though. Yeah. It's time for revenge. I'm, I think now is a good time to put a bet on Bologna to win the cup, honestly. Because I think other other Serie A teams don't really take it that seriously. No, they don't. Not being disrespectful to Bologna either. They're a very, very good team. But I think this is a good opportunity for them to take advantage of the fact that Milan might be concentrating mm. on the Champions League more and make yeah. a proper run at it. And if Thiago Motta wins the Coppa Italia with Bologna, That'll he gets an extra couple of million in whatever contract he gets next year. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely does. There's a lot of Serie A teams who are going to be looking for managers next year. No matter how much Mourinho pleads for his job at Roma, I don't know if he's going to be there next year, <laughs> especially if Motta continues in this way. Yeah, so incredible performance from him. I just find him such a fascinating manager. Um, I was listening to On the Continent today, actually, and there was something I didn't realise. Um, he changes captain every game depending on who's been doing well in training. Oh, so I never, he like, never noticed that. Like, Lewis Ferguson was captain in this game, I think. Yeah. Uh, or no, in the last no. game against uh, Rome, uh, maybe, he was captain. And, yeah, he changes it each week. He doesn't announce the team until the day of the game. And even a thing like Revalia, which I'm fuming about, because I paid quite a lot of money for Skudowski. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> a play like Revalia, he's been really good in training. So he's like, okay, well, you play then. It's just, he's he's got very, very interesting ideas. And the football mm. that he plays is obviously fantastic. So I think he's a very, very, very exciting manager. And I cannot wait to see where his career goes and where this journey, where this adventure with Bologna goes, really. Because I don't yeah. think he's, I don't think he's finished with it either. I think he really sees that he can set something here, mm. if you know what I mean. And like, maybe we will see him stick around and be for at least another year and be like, That'd right, be nice, wouldn't it? Go? If they get into Europe, he has to take them into Europe and be like, right. Let's get a year there. You have to give him a chance, don't they? Exactly. So, it's fantastic result for them. Um, Inzaghi has lost his first game in the Coppa Italia since 2021, which is a bit mental. Wow. Um, yeah. But ultimately, Inter's eyes are elsewhere this year, I think, so they won't be mm. too upset about it. People who might be a bit more upset about it. Um, <laughs> this is a hell mm. of a result. And... You know, when we were talking about performances would be a lot of credit for Mazzari, right? Yeah. Like, the games yeah. might not be difficult, but the performances matter. The performances haven't been great. So you go, nope. okay, well, then your run of form gets a bit easier. Are you going to win these games? 
he scraped past Cagliari if it wasn't for Osimhen, right? Yeah, of course. And now you lose at home 4-0 to Flosinone. Yeah. Again, a massively rotated team. It's not really a... You've got Galini in goals and Oli at right back, mm-hmm. but you've still got like Rui, Nathan, Kajuste. He's been starting a lot of games. Raspadori yep. and Simeone. Raspadori, There's yep. a lot of quality out there. Um, Kadira finally got a goal. Unfortunately, it wasn't in frigging Serie A. But, Adam, take us through this game. Well, to be fair, Rory, um, Frosnani also were kind of rotated in this particular match. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, all I can say is, wow. I mean, because the amount of opportunities that Frosnani did create by the 65th minute onwards, it just looked like Napoli were being torn apart. And this, despite the fact that Mazzari kind of tried to address it, he did bring in Osserman, he did bring on Kfaratskelia, but this is the thing. This was the opportunity for Mansari. He didn't need to rest these players. Again, a bit similar to very similar situations that I've kind of called out with West Ham. Why did he feel that he needed to rest mm-hmm. these players? Because that's a huge opportunity whilst Napoli are struggling this season to get some kind of credit in the bank as well, especially for his career as well, if he wants to stay there. Um, but Frosinone, they really did take it. Eusebio Di Francesco set them up really nicely. And um, yeah, it seemed to be the uh, front line of Chadira as well as Casso behind him that really kind of created the opportunities. Don't forget, Sule wasn't playing in this particular match. So, you know, that's one of the things that he did bring him on eventually. Um, but they just really got a tune out of the players that really kind of took it to Napoli, exploited their kind of wing play, I would say, to an extent mm-hmm. because they were very narrow in the space so they created a lot of through balls in particular Chadira's goal was just born out of the opportunity of through ball they could see the amount of space that was accommodated to him and he just ran into it it was just laughable at times I mean I saw the reaction of a Napoli fan that kind of sums it up he goes what the fuck are we doing here like what, what, what is going on for? like yeah. what we, why did we bother like this is just oh. yeah Napoli so summed up beautifully by that fan because at this moment in time just they seem like a running joke at the moment so um it's so is just so naive as well this has happened so naive because look if you go into the next rounds, it sets them up for an opportunity of Salentana or Juventus. Now, I'm going to say it's Juventus, but still, huge opportunity there to get, get a big scalp, right? Yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. Just going out like that at home is just pathetic, isn't it, really? It's just yeah. pathetic. Um, but to finish off the games, Gwenduzi getting a goal um, mm. to deliver Lazio a 1-0 win over Genoa. Much needed win there for Sadi. A little bit of positivity around a pretty underwhelming season. Um, and Fiorentina 2, Parma 2. Fiorentina going 2-0 down within the first 23 minutes is absolutely yep. scandalous. But Nzola, again scoring, but not in Serie A. And Sotil with an 89th-minute penalty. Um, drew Fiorentina level before it did go to penalties. Penalties. Um, And who got the winning penalty? It was Beltran, um, a player Mm. who's kind of showing a little bit of promise at Fiorentina. He's got a few goals now. I think if he gets a steady run of games, he could be quite promising. Um, But yeah, still not a great performance for Fiorentina. I know Palmer are absolutely flying Mm. in Serie B at the minute, but yeah, they are. They are doing quite well, but unfortunately on this occasion they were just undone by uh, Fiorentina's professionalism, mm-hmm. should we call it that way. Um, but Fiorentina aren't 
spectacular at the moment and they just managed to scrape that result together. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously still sets them up nicely against Bologna. So they still have a shot, even though we're saying Bologna are the favourites. It wouldn't surprise me if Fiorentina fluke and get a 1-0 win now. So it's just yeah, the way yeah. it goes. Well, exactly, exactly. Um, well, guys, that is the weekly roundup. Um, we're going to very quickly do a weekend preview. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to talk about our highlights, lowlights and funniest moments of the season after this very quick break. Hi, I'm Phil Brown, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian Podcast. Here we are. It's time for the weekly preview. Weekend preview, last one of the year, guys. Um, and I'm going to take you through the Premier League. A very quick uh, preview, review. Crystal Palace drew one all with Brighton, and I completely forgot that game was happening this evening. So that one's done, guys. Um, Danny Welbeck equalising in the 82nd minute. Good to see him amongst the goals again on Friday night. We have some beautiful Friday night football. Aston Villa hosting Sheffield United. That's a home win. Um, on Saturday, the early kickoff, West Ham hosting Manchester United. That is a very, very tricky game. Obviously, West Ham coming off a 5-1 walloping. Um, Man United coming off a huge nil-nil result against Liverpool. I still fancy West Ham to get a result here. Can David Moyes get some revenge on his ex-employees, mm. uh, employers? I think so. First of the three o'clock kickoffs, you have Tottenham versus Everton. A very intriguing game. Everton obviously on a good run of wins, except Carabao Cup. Um, <laughs> Tottenham starting to get a bit of form again. I can see this as a a score draw, I'm going to say. I'm going to say mm. today that it's on as even, but lots of goals. Um, Nottingham Forest, welcome back. Nuno, Nuno Espirito you know. Santo and Jorge Mendes um, as they host <laughs> Bournemouth at three o'clock. I think this could be a bad start to life for Nuno Espirito Santo. Mm. Running into an informed Bournemouth is not what he needs right now. Uh, we have Fulham taking on Burnley. Another five goals for Fulham, <laughs> I reckon. Um, we have Luton taking on Newcastle. Injury depleted, continuing yep. to be more injury depleted Newcastle. <laughs> heading to Luton Town. I think that's a home win. And the late kickoff on Saturday, we have Liverpool taking on Arsenal. Oh, it's a biggie. Oh. I'm very scared. Adam, I'm quite biased. How do you see this game going? I think this has got tool written all over it. Ooh. I think it's going to be quite a tight game. Deal. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it will genuinely be one of those that I think Arsenal will ruffle a few feathers and it'll be just a question of mentality and how much mm -hmm. can Arsenal hang on to the leads. I think that's going to be key here because I think Arsenal are going to be much bigger opposition than West Ham were during the midweek. So, fucking yeah, so. let's wait and see. Let's <laughs> wait and see. They up. only have to practice in silence, right? That's what they have yeah, to do. Exactly. So. Exactly. Look, I think without going too deep into it, uh, last year, the first half performance at Anfield was one of the best performances I've seen from an away team at Anfield ever. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. just the second half we kind of lost it. So all we need to do this year is just see that performance through. I think this team is a team that's capable of learning. We've seen that they learn. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen that they improve. So I think I'm not unconfident, but I'm not <laughs> confident either. Uh, that's as far as Fair I'm enough. And then on Sunday, we have Wolves, Taking on Chelsea, um, and that's all of the action. It is. It is. There are, Adam. Let's go through it. So, as you listen to us on a Friday, we've got a few 
random fixtures here. So at 5.30, we'll start off with Empoli taking on Lazio. And then we've also got Sassuolo taking on Genoa at the same time. But later on that evening at 7.45, we have got Monza taking on Fiorentina and Salernitana taking on AC Milan. So maybe Salernitana can shock us and get some points on the board. I doubt it somehow, Rory. Um, but we move into Saturday's fixtures. Full house here. We've got at 11.30, we've got Frozen on and taking on Juventus. Maybe a kind of pre-prepare game for that Coppa Italia match that will eventually happen. We'll see. Um, but we will also see at 2 p.m. Bologna taking on Atalanta. That is a juicy tie because both teams kind of very closely in the table in that position. We've also got Torino taking on Udinese and then we move into the 5 p.m. kickoff slot. So we've got Hellas Verona taking on Calgary. That's a big six point That's there. Massive. That's massive yeah. there. We've also got Inter needing to get some points on the board in the league. So we've got them taking on Lecce. So uh, we'll whisper that quite quietly, Rory. And then 7.45, we've got Roma taking on Napoli for oh, the big Debbie game this weekend. So Beautiful. I think this is going to be an interesting game because both sides need the points, right, Rory? But um, yeah, how do you see this game going? It could be anything. I think <laughs> yeah. like Matsani needs a result here because Roma aren't really anywhere mm. near consistent as yeah, Roma exactly. never are. Um, Mourinho, again, not in a great place. The club not in a great place. Players missing. Yep. Dybala injured again. 100%. Like the Kaku suspended, I think. Mm. Um, it's going to be a bit of a tricky one, and Napoli just need to get something. I think that, I thought that Cagliari win was going to be a bit of a catalyst, but yes, losing four 0 sure. at home to Frosinone is the opposite of a catalyst. So I think it'll be. I can see this again, just being. I can see it being a chaotic game. Yeah, it will be very chaotic. Very much so, and that is your Serie A fixtures because you don't get another fixture until the 29th of December, Rory. So, boo, yes. <laughs> boo, you <laughs> continentals, lazy continentals. They don't like it, do they? No. Um, we are gonna leave that there and we're gonna go with our Premier League highlights. No, wait, well, Premier League and Serie A highlights, lowlights, yes. and funniest moments of 2023. Now, my Premier League ones are going to be a little bit Arsenal-based. <laughs> um, I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear. No. Um, I'm going to get your thoughts on, let's go mm. for, let's start with the low light and finish on a positive. Um, sure. The low light has to be Arsenal throwing the league away, right? <laughs> that has to be, <laughs> like, the 1-0 loss at Nottingham Forest was about as low as I felt this year, I imagine, I think. Um, I think that's definitely the low light. Um, also, them securing survival just annoyed me as well. And I'd like Forrest, but I was like, oh, frig off. They're all celebrating and we're like crying. I really, really did annoy me. My highlight is um, Arsenal's title challenge in the first place. Mm-hmm. And even though our, like this year wasn't that great in terms of that's when we threw the league away, yeah. um, we just as being in the conversation and us... Um, playing such exciting football and the Reese Nelson goal and all those things mm. um, really, really had some incredible moments supporting Arsenal this year. And the start we've had this season and the fact that we've changed a lot and we're looking yep. a bit more calm and a bit more controlled and a bit more dominant. And yep. you're seeing the turnaround in the team very quickly. And I think 
it was four years to the day today since um, Arteta mm-hmm. was appointed the Arsenal manager. And the turnaround has been insane. And just the turnaround in this year as well. It's been fantastic. So I think that mm-hmm. is my highlight. Um, the funniest moment <laughs> was um, Mikel Arteta running after Granite Xhaka um, at White Hot Lane. <laughs> um, definitely. It's the moment okay. that made me laugh the most. Um, because it was just... Yeah, uh, it was just tip. It was just classic Granite Jacker and Arteta. I've ne- I don't think I saw him that run run that quick when he was a player. Um, just incredible, yeah, incredible moment to try and catch him. But to take it away from Arsenal, my funniest moment, the moment that made me laugh the most. Yep. Liverpool seven, Manchester United nil. Yeah, that was quite special, wasn't it? To be fair, I mean, I don't think we're going to experience quite a fixture, and I think. To be fair, I think the thing that kind of summarised that match was around the half an hour mark where we saw the floods of fans emptying the ground. That was kind of a picture and a scene that will never, ever be replicated unless you see a really terrible Man United or Liverpool side in the future, yeah. which is quite possible. There's always that possibility at some More point. More possible with Man United, I imagine, yes. uh, than with Liverpool. I also want to give an honourable shout to um, Newcastle battering Spurs. <laughs> that that, that, <laughs> that match, yes. 20 minutes or whatever it was, I was just absolutely wet in my side. Um, funniest moments in the Premier League that spring to mind? I'm trying to think of any funniest moments that I can recall now. Um, it's got to be something related to Harry Maguire and just mm. screwing up. There's going to be a few, right? Um, but yeah, I can't think of anything obvious at the top of my head. There must be some some moments that have happened this year in 2023 that have been Jack like, Grealish's mm. title celebrations. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was quite um, vitriolic. That guy was living he like was living the dream, was um, Yes. Oh, what a man. I'm in love with him. But we're going to go to our Serie A highlights, yes. lowlights, um, funniest moments. Um, Adam, let's go through it. Yeah, so I don't know in terms of lowlights, but I'm going to start off with highlights. And I think there's only one obvious call out here, and that is Napoli winning the title mm. in style. That was an incredible feat and achievement. Obviously, the way they kind of spiritually brought it back to Naples as well. I mean, it was just everything surrounding just the manner that they went about it as well. And it wasn't necessarily like a star-studied team. It was just a group of players that worked hard for each other. They were collectively really skillful, but such a magic moment for them. So for me, that was the highlight of last season, but also 2023. I suppose to an extent that also then feeds into the low light, which is the demise of Napoli. Yes, yes absolutely, absolutely. At the same time, we have seen them mesmerically change from that position to a terrible side under Rudy Garcia. And although Rudy didn't get to uh, foresee it, shall we say, um, this season, uh, he still made it memorable. He still made it quite easy for us to laugh at Napoli, especially their fan base as well. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that's probably the low lights here. And then if we're talking about funniest moment, then let's look no further than the team that are currently bottom of the league. Oh. And that is Salonatana. Yes. So they, they know how to make us laugh. They make us enjoy Serie A because Serie A and Italian football in general is quite crazy. But the nature of them having to sack David Nicola and then rehiring him and then sacking him. 
I think that kind of summarizes the league that we miss from yeah. our youth days because I cannot recall a time where we've seen Italian clubs go through that kind of phase of just sacking managers and then mm-hmm. rehiring them. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't happen anywhere else but Serie A. I think that's no, my abs- highlight there. No, absolutely. Yeah, classic, classic Calcio action there. I think the only highlight that I want to throw into the hat is, and it's kind of, well, it is Serie A because it's an Italian yep. team, but the being fortunate enough to attend the Inter Milan um, Champions League semi-final. Oh, um, it's one of the greatest matches I've ever attended in my life. Probably the biggest game I've attended in my life. And being able to see that and celebrate into reaching the final and, you know, with people that I love and incredibly inebriated. It was amazing. (laughs) Um, The final didn't go how we wanted it to go. No. Um, I wish Inter had been able to get a goal, at least a goal, just to have that moment of celebration. But that semi-final was a real absolute highlight of the year for me. Um, and one of my highlights of my time living in Italy. So I absolutely mm. loved, loved that. Um, incredible. And I'm going to just say my funniest moment is just Pioli's ability to cling on to his job. <laughs> I don't think we've got much mileage out of a. We've got much more mileage out of a joke than Pioli being able to just still be in a job. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Stefano. Because um, if it's not it is, him, it's definitely Allegri, right? It's a legacy yeah, well, being able yeah. to click onto his job as well at times. Yeah, it's been yeah. quite fascinating to see how yeah. Juventus, everything's like burning buildings, etc. But he still waltz in and plays direct football. So, you know, there you love go. It. That's another highlight. Absolutely love it. Well, guys, um, because it's the end of the year and I've not prepared mastermind, so there's no mastermind. So <laughs> what we're going to do is um, we're going to end the episode here uh, with an apology, but also with a thank you, saying thank you for the, for your support again this year. Mm, um, it's incredible to see just people still listening to us chatting nonsense yes. uh, most of the time. And any likes, telling friends, comments, yep. uh, retweets, whatever it is, it is all massively, massively appreciated. Mm. Um, we hope you've had a fantastic 2023. We hope you have a better 2024. Yep. Um, we will be with you, of course, to cover the end of this fantastic season, to cover the Euros coming up in the summer, um, to cover the non-stop football that never ends. Um, we will be there. So as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod, and hit the like and subscribe button down here. Um, and again, tell a friend, right? Um, yep. Adam, anything to say to these people before I leave them with a quote that I have prepared? I'm just bringing my uh, glass to raise and just say, Buon Natale, the Sarchant, and Merry Christmas to you all. Enjoy beautiful so guys the quote this week is it really stood out to me and it's just from a calcio legend Filippo Inzaghi and it's simple to tell the truth I'm a little angry with Ronaldo and Messi because of them it seems that Raul and I have scored few goals in our careers I'm sure there's plenty of players that feel the same way people guys Merry Christmas Happy New Year Grazie Ciao ciao Arrivederci Podcast Network.